0: Welcome into a very special episode of the Orlando Drummer Podcast. This is episode 30 and we are talking all things Pearl, all things Pearl Masterworks. We're gonna get into some uh, topics surrounding endorsements and I got a lot of stuff to cover in today's episode for you guys. So, for those of you guys that may have not seen, um, I released a video this past Saturday morning um, that is my announcement video that I'm now playing Pearl drums. And anytime you announce an endorsement, any new endorsement at all, it's gonna come with a lot of questions, a lot of criticisms. I mean, just go read the YouTube comment section. I'm recording this video right now before uh, Saturday, so so at this moment in time, um, that endorsement video has not come out. But guaranteed, there's gonna be a comment section full of people that have questions, criticisms, I made the wrong choice, I made the best choice, and everything in between. And, you know, I was really debating how much of that stuff I wanted to address in the original announcement video, right? Because I could have made that thing 30 minutes long and talked about all sorts of different things. Um, but I thought that would be a little bit preemptive. I thought it would be better to to make that announcement video nice and short, to the point, show you the kit, tell you why um, I went with Pearl Drums, and then leave that video as a standalone thing and then circle back with the podcast and really get into some of the details about um, why I made the decisions with this particular kit, some of my thoughts on endorsements in general. Um, why Pearl? Because there were definitely other options. There, there, were, there were other choices on the table if that's what I wanted to do. But Pearl was the right choice for me. And I think, um, you know, it's such a heavy decision. It's a career-oriented decision for me, at least. For for anybody, really, it should be, right? Aligning yourself with another brand. So I think um, these topics deserve a little bit lengthier of a discussion. And uh, yeah, we got a lot of stuff to get into today. So there's three main things that I wanna cover in this podcast, the first of which is the kit itself. I wanna take you through the concept around the sound of this Masterworks kit that I built. I want to take you through the concept of the aesthetics as well. A lot of weird aesthetic choices. Um, You know, go through the sizes and just sort of what was my idea when I conceptualized and had this drum set built. I got a lot of stuff I could talk about there, but um, I made some weird choices. So I think uh, I, I owe you guys an explanation for some of those more odd choices. The second thing I want to talk about is just endorsements in general. You know, I've talked a lot about endorsements over the last 10 years online, maybe not the full 10 years I've been making drum videos online, but for a very long time I've been discussing the concept of endorsements because it's so deeply misunderstood by a lot of younger drummers. I remember being that drummer when I was 14, 15, 16 years old, even up to 18 or 19, my concept of what an endorsement was was completely wrong. So I have a lot of empathy for younger drummers now um, who say, I don't know, let's just say ridiculous things in the comment section about what an endorsement is or what it should be. Uh, people get this, this whole concept of endorsements wrong all the time, so I thought it would be um, worth my time to sort of distill everything that I've talked about online for the last several years um, into this simple concept, and that is that there are three things that I look for in an endorsement. And when I give you these three things, I really hope it will clarify um, a lot of the decisions that I've made as far as my own personal endorsements. And then we're gonna close out this podcast by covering the Masterworks ordering process. So what I have here are uh, the entire PDF document that I submitted to Pearl when I ordered my Pearl Masterworks kit. And I don't know if you've ever looked into the ordering process, um, whether that's an SQ2 or a collector series or a Thomas Star or a Pearl Masterworks, but really exploring all of the options that are available to you when you're fully customizing a drum set from scratch. That was something I had never actually done it. I never went all the way down the wormhole when it comes to building a drum set from scratch, making every single decision. So I'm gonna put these PDFs on the screen a little bit later in this podcast and we're gonna go through all of the options that are available if you were to order uh, a Pearl Masterworks. It was a really fun process. I think you guys will enjoy seeing sort of behind the scenes what that actually looks like. Um, And then we'll close out with a little bit of an FAQ because I know that there's some questions likely surrounding my signature snare, things like that. So we're gonna get into that stuff a little bit later in the episode. But for now, let's just talk about the kit itself. So I'm gonna take you guys through the concept that I had for the sound of this drum set, which was very specific. So my last drum set, the Sonar SQ-1. You guys have heard that kit for years. I had that kit almost three and a half years, and it's completely birch, and it's a relatively thin shell. I think the Sonar SQ-1 is a seven millimeter shell, which in the grand scheme is is a very, very thin kit. It's right around where a six-ply drum set would fall, Um, so it's still considered pretty thin. And being a birch kit, you know, birch is a very lively wood. It is considered to be on the the higher frequency end of the spectrum, when it comes to um, when it comes to shells and the types of wood that you might select. If you think of maple as being right in the middle, it's like the most balanced. So it's got some richness and warmth, but it's got a little bit of attack and a little bit of cut to it as well. Birch is way more on the cutting side, right? And any dense hardwood um, is gonna be on that cutting side. So that would be like oak is kind of like that as well. Oak is a little bit drier. But if you want a kit that really cuts through a mix, that's really snappy and aggressive, birch is a go-to choice for a lot of people. And you combine that with a thinner shell, Thinner shells have a lot less mass in them, so they tend to be a little bit faster and more responsive. So just think about if you're trying to wake the drum up. When I say that, I mean you're hitting the head, you're sending a bunch of energy through that wood, and you're trying to get the wood to vibrate and resonate to produce a certain tone. Well, the less wood that there is, the quicker that energy can pass through the shell itself. So when you get to a thin shell, what you get is drums that that are very responsive. They're very quick. When you hit them, the energy moves through that wooden shell very fast. So you end up getting more of that that aggressive bite that Birch already has. So a thin-shelled Birch drum set is a very bitey, aggressive, cutting, fast, responsive kind of kit, and that is exactly what I wanted. Now, it would be reasonable to ask, now Adam, why didn't you want something with mahogany or maple, something with a little bit more warmth and beef and low end and just sort of that that thickness to it, right? Here's the thing. I have to be honest about what it is that I actually do with my drum set. now. The reality is I don't tour, I don't record albums. Um, There's a lot of things that many people do with drum sets that I don't do. My reality is that all of the content that I create, all of the audio that I record, or the videos that I'm editing, everything that I make is going to be consumed through phones. About 90% of the content that I make, 90% of the audio that I record is played back through phones, and there's a reality to that, and that is that phones have really tiny speakers, and however much low end I wanna have in my kit, you know, only so much of that is ever gonna come through a phone speaker. Think about a sound system. If you've ever installed a sound system in a car, You've got your tweeters, right, which is the little small speakers. Those are for the high frequencies. And then in the doors, those would be like your your mid-range speakers. That's where most of the sound comes from. But then you have the subwoofer. That's the big, low-end speaker. And there's a reason that the lowest frequencies are played through the biggest speaker. That's because that's how audio works, right? So the bigger the speaker, the lower of a frequency that that speaker can produce. So when I consider the fact that 90% of the the audio that I record, 90% of the content that I make is consumed through very, very, very tiny phone speakers, I have to imagine that there's a certain amount of warmth in my drum set that will never actually make it into people's ears, right? Because if it has to pass through this this sonic filter of an iPhone speaker or an Android phone speaker, you know, there's only so much low end coming through there. So there's a certain point where I feel like If I got a, let's just say a mahogany kit, like the richest, warmest, beefiest wood I could get, there's a part of me that wonders, if that would be a really poor choice because phone speakers are not capable of producing the frequencies that mahogany is actually putting out. So there's a lot of loss that would happen in a scenario like that. You're just leaving a lot of low frequencies, you know, out in the universe because nobody's ever gonna hear those through a phone speaker. So if that's the case, if chasing a really warm, beefy, rich sound only to lose a lot of that richness and that beefiness to phone speakers, you know, if that's the reality, for me it always has made more sense to go with a kit that is more cutting, aggressive, and sort of favors that higher frequency range in hopes that more of the actual tone of the drum is going to make it through that phone speaker and into your ears. Now, of course, I recognize this does not apply to everyone. If you were you know, recording a really high-end album, let's just say a rock album, I don't know that I would pick a drum set like this one behind me. I don't know that I would pick an entirely birch kit. I would want some mahogany. I would want some maple. I'd want more of a balance, more of a richness, uh, because the quality of that album matters a lot, and it's not going to be listened to exclusively through phone speakers. It'll be played through car speakers. It'll be played on people's home stereos. But when it comes to YouTube content, online education content, like the stuff on my website, that's mostly gonna be iPads, phones, or small little earbuds, things like that. And so in a way, you know, a lot of you guys are gonna really hate this, it sounds really corny. To me, this is a social media drum set. That's kind of how I look at it. It is optimized um, to be recorded and played back through small speakers. I really think that's how this kit sounds best. So as far as the sound concept of the kit, that's kind of what I had in mind uh, when I was building this very thin, very birchy drum set. Now for aesthetics, this one's actually really easy for me. I always knew that I wanted a natural wood grain kit. I've known that for many, many years. Now, the thing is, most of the time, your production line kits, which are kits that are mass produced, they do not have infinite or limitless options when it comes to the finishes, you know, most kits like that are not offered in wood grain finishes. I don't think wood grain finishes are that popular for some reason, so they tend to be sort of restricted to the highest end fully custom kits, but I've always loved the look at them. I actually have a guitar sitting right behind this camera um, that's a natural wood green. I've always loved the way that guitar looked, Um, and all of my natural wood snare drums, I've got a a Douglas fir snare drum, which is from Outlaw Drums, right over here. Uh, I actually just sold my Benny Grab signature snare drum, which was a beech wood. Um, those have always been my favorite, right? I always love the natural wood grain, so I knew I wanted to go with that, but there's something about the natural wood grain, uh, especially in that medium tone that black limba is, that's the color that I went with. It's, it's matte, natural, black limba, and it's in this medium tone, so it's almost like a chestnut or a hickory. It's not a super uh, rich, dark wood, and it's not very light, it's not like a honey blonde at all. It's right in the middle. And for me it it has this kind of vintage old school feel. But the reality is this being a like what I'm nicknaming like a like a social media drum set, that is very, very modern. I think the kit sounds extremely modern. So I wanted to have a modern touch and that's why I went with all black nickel hardware. Now black nickel is like it's got such a unique look to it. It is not black it's almost like a gunmetal that's been taken down a few shades darker than what you might think of with normal gunmetal now the black nickel color that certainly has its own modern kind of that futuristic feel to it but i also one thing i went back and forth on for quite a while was what to do about the lugs because for sonic purposes the smaller the lug the more resonant the drum is going to be. When you have less metal, or less of anything, touching the shell of the drum, the you know the more resonant the drum is gonna be, right? It's the same concept as mutes. If you have more stuff touching the top of the drum head, like um, slap clats, or uh, moon gels, or whatever you use to, to dampen your drum head, well, the less resonant that drum is gonna be. But this also applies to the wood itself, the sides of the shell, so if you've got big giant lugs all over the shell, it's really gonna limit um, the amount of resonance that that drum can have. So I had the option of going with either these swivel double tube lugs, which is what I went with, or the, the single lugs, which are basically half the size of these. And man, I went back and forth for so, so long. To be honest, I just ended up favoring the aesthetics and I went with the tube lugs on this kit. Now, there's a part of me that that wonders what this kit would have sounded like if I went with the singles. Would it have sound better? Would it have resonated more? You know, maybe, probably it would have to a certain degree, but I just preferred the look of these, these double tube lugs here, so that's what I went with. I also think that they look a lot more futuristic, if I'm being honest, and, and they give this, this kind of a sleek look to it that, to me, actually resembled the SQ-1 a little bit more. Sonar always has those longer lugs, and uh, and almost all drum companies offer some kind of longer looking tube lug like that. Maybe not DW, but um, I really like that look. It makes the kit feel modern. Um, I remember seeing Matt Halpern's pearl kit, actually. He had the the double tube lugs. It just has such a futuristic look to it. So for me, these are the three elements that sort of made the entire kit. It's the, the vintage, natural look of the matte, natural black limba. Then it's the black nickel hardware on everything. This sort of deep, deep metallic tone has that nice futuristic feel. Um, and then sort of the modern vibe of those double tube lugs. Those three things in combination gave me this vintage modern look. Uh, and I could not be happier with the look of this drum set. I, I really go back and forth debating on if the kit looks better than it sounds, right? Like I can't decide which which of the two is the standout, the the sound or the aesthetics. But it's a beautiful, beautiful kit, man. I could not be happier with, um, with the build quality, attention to detail, it's truly, it's just pristine. And now let's talk sizes. I'm just gonna take you through the entire kit and talk about each drum individually for a moment. So I went with 10 by seven on my rack tom. That is the same size rack tom that I've had on um, my last kit, the, the SQ-1, and if I'm not mistaken, the DW performance series that I had before that one. Same thing, 10 by seven. I like a more shallow rack tom. It gives me a little bit more punch, a little bit less resonance, but the way that I play a rack tom and the way that I treat it, it's kind of similar to how I look at my left side crash, in that I like having these options right in front of me that are a little bit faster, that don't have a ton of resonance, that don't that don't sing very long. So the same reason that I play a 19 inch extra dry thin crash on my left is the same reason I like a more shallow 10 inch rack tom right in front of me. I like the sound to get out of my way very quickly. So. I stuck with a ten by seven. I'm still working on this rack tom, to be honest. It's one of the sounds of the kit in this first these first few recording sessions, where I'm not totally happy um, with how I have it set up. But it's a matter of getting to know the kit, right? It's a matter of getting dialed in um, the heads. I really don't know which heads I'm going to stick with permanently on this drum set. So I just went with uh, what did I go with? An EC resonant on the bottom and a UV two on the top. And don't get me wrong, it sounds great. It sounds like a high end ten by seven rack tom. But I I definitely have a little bit more work to do to get it dialed. Uh, Now, surprisingly, the rack tom to the right of it, uh, the twelve by eight, that I'm actually very impressed with. And I know, of course, one of the questions I had to address in this podcast was why would I get a twelve inch rack tom? Because I have talked so much shit about twelve inch rack toms over the last several years, Uh, and it is still true that in general I don't like them. Now. The reason that I got a 12 by 8 rack tom with this particular drum set is because I wanted to make this a complete kit. There was something that felt like I would be doing this kit a disservice to exclude toms just because I didn't like them. Now I'm leaving open the possibility that maybe one day in the future, whether that's 10 or 20 or 30 years from now, you know, maybe somebody else will own this drum set one day. That might be my kid for all I know, but Somebody would certainly be disappointed to know that a 12 by eight tom never even existed for this kit. So there was a part of me that just felt like I owed it to this drum set to make sure that it was a complete kit and that it had all of the available toms. But another reason I got a a 12 inch tom was because there are some projects that I do on occasion where it would actually make sense to have an extra tom. It depends on the genre of music, it depends on the project itself. It might not even be something that I'm doing for YouTube or for OrlandoDrummer.com. Could very well just be a project that Joe Hodgen and I are working on. for those of you guys that don't know, he's the loop smith who's made all of the loops that we use on our OrlandoDrummer.com, and he's a full-time uh, you know, producer. So there's many projects him and I will work with together, and I thought that would be really, really cool um, to just have a 12-inch tom for recording purposes only. So I thought it made a lot of sense to include the 12-inch tom in the announcement video, but is it officially part of my kit, my full setup permanently? Probably not, probably not. But with that said, I will say that one, error in judgment that I made in 12 inch toms is that most of the ones I've ever played were 12 by nine. And I don't know if this is totally true, but all of the tuning difficulties that that I've ever experienced with 12 inch toms were on 12 by nines. And this 12 by eight, the one right here on this kit, man, it seems like it's a lot easier to tune than what I remember. It honestly tuned up faster than the 10-inch tom, which is surprising because I have many, many years of experience tuning 10-inch toms and almost no experience tuning 12s. But this particular 12-inch tom, I got this thing to sing before any other piece of the entire kit. So that was really, really surprising. Um, It does sound awesome, but I'd be lying if I said that my plan was to use it permanently. I'm still so not used to it. I hit the rim of it all the time. I have to like, consciously make a decision uh, to, to to use it because I don't really remember that it's there my body and all of my muscle memory doesn't even know that it's there yet so I've got to like stare at it and go I'm gonna hit this this 12 inch tom in just a second so That's why I got the 12 inch tom, Uh, but again, it is more than likely not gonna stay on the kit permanently. I just felt like it was the the right thing to do, and I'm actually really happy I got it. It sounds phenomenal, and it is one of the most initially impressive drums that came in this entire setup. Uh, Again, I got it to sing before anything else here. Uh, Next, I got a 14 by 12 floor tom. Now. The floor tom on the SQ1, the one that I'm used to, is a 14 by 13. And I can tell you that that extra inch of depth is pretty noticeable. This floor tom on this kit does not sing quite as long as the 14 by 13 that I had in my last kit. But I didn't necessarily want a lot of sing. What I wanted, Um, was a bit more punch out of the the floor tom. So by shortening it an inch, making it a 14 by 12, which is still a relatively common floor tom size, I thought that what I would be doing uh, was sort of bringing out just a a touch more punch in the drum and that's definitely what's happening here. Now if you listen to that 14 inch floor tom in the original video that I posted uh, with this Pearl Masterworks kit, for me it's not quite resonant enough but I think that's a little bit more of a problem with the with the resonant head. And this is one of the unfortunate things about getting a brand new kit and then posting like a big announcement video with it. It's that I don't really know the kit that well yet. So I'm still experimenting with what resonant heads might sound best on a kit like this uh, and what batter heads as well. So I think it's a little bit of a head thing that I need to deal with, but overall I'm really really happy with the sound it's such a responsive drum it's so fast it just wakes up so so quickly Uh, but I want to focus on getting just a little bit more resonance out of it because it's very very short as it is now and then the next tom I got uh, is a 15 by 13 inch floor tom and this is a very weird decision Um, I'd texted and talked with a lot of different buddies of mine about whether or not I was going to get a 15 inch floor tom or a 16 inch floor tom and undoubtedly the 16 inch floor tom would have made a little bit more sense just because of the the spacing increments of the toms 10 12 14 and then 16 but that last 16 I decided finally to cut it an inch short and go with the 15. Now the real reason I did this was not for sound, it was not an audio decision at all, it was more of a feel decision. Because the response of a 14 inch floor tom right next to your snare, that's something that I grew really, really accustomed to. When I had my DW collector series back in the day, I played a 10 uh, um, a 10 inch rack tom and a 16 inch floor tom. And I noticed that the 16-inch floor tom, there were certain fills, patterns, or grooves, or ideas that I would avoid because the 16-inch floor tom, it would suck so much energy out of my sticks that there were certain ideas that were just hard to play. It was really hard to execute um, certain concepts or certain patterns on a 16-inch floor tom. And that, ho- that holds true even when you put a 14-inch floor tom in its place and move that 16 over to the far right. I still found that it never had the rebound that I wanted. So my idea behind um, reducing the size of the 16 inch floor tom down to a 15 was that it would have a little bit better of a feel to it. So that was more so why I made that decision than anything else. And it definitely does have a better feel for sure. Now there's a certain amount of low end that a 16 can produce that a 15 inch Floor Tom cannot produce, sure. I understand the 16 is gonna be a little bit warmer, a little bit deeper. But in general, every time I've ever reduced the size of one of my drums and then got used to it, I always ended up preferring that, right? So I kind of took a little bit of a chance. It was one of the more risky decisions that I made with this kit to go with that 15 inch Floor Tom. But then I had the thought, you know, down the road, I can always order the 16 inch floor tom to match this kit. So maybe at some point I will do that, but for now, I'm very happy with the 15. Unfortunately, there is one problem that I ran into right away, and that is that finding heads is almost uh, impossible. They basically have to be ordered. Nobody stocks 15 inch heads um, anywhere around town. I went to several stores looking for it. I ended up having to order it, um, and it took longer to arrive than I expected. So I actually had to record the original announcement video with this kit, um, using the stock head that came on it, which is a coded Remo Ambassador. And while that's not a bad drum head, it's not the drum head I would ever choose for that drum. So I got it sounding decent, but I'm not not really happy with, the, with that actual sound. But the video had to come out, so we had to record it anyway, but I definitely want to get a UV2 on there. It's in the mail right now, so very soon you'll see some videos uh, featuring UV2s all the way down the toms. Now with 15 inch toms, you know, they do make almost every drum head you could think of in a 15 inch size. All companies make 15 inch drum heads because there's a lot of 15 inch snares out there as well. However, that doesn't mean they're gonna be sitting on the shelves of your local guitar center or Sam Ash or whatever your local music store is. In my case, you know, there were no 15 inch heads in stock at all at any local music store. So a little bit annoying, you will very likely have to go online to order your 15 inch heads if if you ever went with a size like that. Um, But just based on the feel alone, all sound aside, all, you know, locating head difficulties aside, uh, just based on feel, I really, really enjoy the smaller head. It just sends the stick back at you that much faster and it makes me more confident in trying different ideas over on the right side of my kit. And so next up, we have the kick drum. The kick drum that I got is 20 by 17. 20 inches has always been my favorite kick drum size. I've actually discussed that on this podcast before, but I knew I was gonna go with a 20. I don't think I'll ever own another kick drum size. It's just the perfect size for me. Not only um, sonically, like how it sounds, great amount of punch, great amount of thickness, a really nice tone to it, records really well, but also it makes setup that much easier. It's so much easier to move around a 20 inch kick when it comes to placing uh, your toms, your stackers, microphones, Uh, I use a crotch mic a lot of times, which is a microphone that goes directly above your bass drum. Um, You know, there's just so many reasons why I go with a 20, so I knew that was gonna stay the same, but what I decided to do was um, add one inch of depth to my kick drum. So the Sonar SQ1 was a 20 by 16, the kick drum on this Pearl Masterworks is a 20 by 17, and I decided to add that extra inch just to see if I could get some more resonance out of the kick drum. If if I had one complaint about the kick of the SQ1, it would be that it didn't have a lot of sing to it. It was really powerful, really thick, really punchy, as most 20-inch kick drums are but I wanted just a little bit more sing out of it and this drum definitely has a, a bit more sing that's for sure now another thing that I did with this kick drum was added two layers of mahogany and to be honest I was really really debating on how much mahogany I wanted to add into this kit as a whole I almost added mahogany to the floor toms as well and part of the reason that I considered that was because I had this pearl session studio select here in my studio and the floor toms of that kit are mind-blowingly good Now, they have mahogany as an inside layer and then birch on the outside. Birch mahogany is sort of the build concept uh, behind the entire Session Studio Select. And I was so impressed with those floor toms that I considered getting mahogany added into my floor toms here. But I didn't have it in me to Frankenstein the kit in that way. It just felt wrong to mismatch the toms. Um, Maybe one day I will build a kit like that. But for this one, I just didn't wanna take that chance. So I decided to put mahogany in only the kick drum and the snare drum. Now, in the kick, I'm really glad that I put the mahogany in there. So the kick drum is a six-ply drum. It's still a very, very thin kick, but man, that extra low end, the extra beefiness that's in the kick drum is incredibly noticeable. It does make me curious what the entire kit would have sounded like if I had have added um, mahogany to to at least the floor toms, but I didn't do it, so we've got some nice snappy, punchy floor toms, and maybe in a future kit build um, I could add some mahogany in. But overall, the kick drum is, it's one of the more initially impressive of drums as well. The kick drum and the 12 inch rack tom were the first, really, I suppose, the first two drums that just woke up immediately. So, what I did with the kick, I put an EMAD, uh, an EMAD 2 on the batter, um, and then I just put whatever Evans resonant head I had on there. Honestly, don't know. Oh, it's an EMAD resonant, there you go. That's what I put on the kick drum head, and just finger tight, boom, perfect kick sound. Incredibly easy. The Pro Masterworks also comes with a, somewhat of like a bass drum muffler system, so I installed that as well, but otherwise, it's kind of like an empty drum with finger tight EMAD heads on it, it just sounds incredible. So, if you've never tried an EMAD on your kick drum, you know, that, that's kind of how it works. It's just finger tight, it sounds perfect, it's just an instant sort of thing. So, really happy with the kick drum as well, and really happy that I got those extra two layers of mahogany. Um, now I got the same thing on the snare drum. Snare drum is 13 by six, um, and I also got two layers of mahogany added to that. So both the kick and the snare are six ply. Now one thing I did was, I, I made the mahogany the outer layer. And this was a really interesting thing that I learned within this build process, and that is that, when when you get different types of woods blended, so let's just say you've got, you know, Tama has, what is it, uh, birch walnut. They used to have birch babinga. That was a really popular combination for a long time from Tama. Um, You know, Pearl in their Session Studio Select has birch mahogany, and and the Reference Pure series drums from Pearl also have many different blends of wood uh, throughout the plies. But, one of the things that I didn't know about doing that is that the innermost ply is the one that matters the most. So, whatever ply you select to go on the inside, the one that you see when you look into the drum, that one matters more than anything else. And the further out you go towards the outside edge of the shell in these plies, uh, the less important that wood choice actually gets. So for example, if you had a birch mahogany blended kit, the birch going on the inside will contribute a lot to that aggressive, bitey nature of the drum. And you'll add a little bit of warmth by putting mahogany uh, outside of those birch plies. But if you reverse those two, you put the mahogany on the inside and the birch on the outside, you will hear the sound kind of favors that richness and you will only be adding a, a small amount of that cutting birch sound to it. So I did not know that that was the case, uh, but this is the reason that when I added the mahogany to the kick and to the snare, I made sure the mahogany was on the outside, so the inner plies of all of these drums are all still birch. So even with the mahogany added to the kick and the snare, the predominant sound that you hear is still that birch sound. Uh, it's just got a little bit of warmth sort of coming up the back end, at least that's how I perceive the kick and the snare on this particular kit. And I think this helps create a little bit more of a cohesive sound where the entire kit still sounds and feels like a birch kit. It's just got a little bit more umph in the spots that matter, which for me were kick and snare. Now the reason that I went with a 13 by six snare drum is because I wanted something honestly that was not at all similar to my signature snare drum. We're gonna talk about that a little bit later, but my signature snare drum, it's made out of Jara. It's one of the most dense cutting hardwoods that you could ever make a drum out of. And that drum has no shortage of high-end. It's just a snappy, Little firecracker of a snare drum and so I wanted something that did not sound like that at all so I actually got this this six ply snare drum with mahogany added because I wanted it a little bit warmer I got it um, a touch deeper than I would normally get I really really like around five inches for snare depth but I got this one at six inches because I wanted a little bit more of the potential for low end and then I added mahogany for the same reason I also outfitted the the 13 by 6 pearl masterwork snare with an Evans HD Dry. And I always describe that head as a little bit on the warmer side, or at least when you tune it low and you want a drum to have some beefy, punchy low end to it, the HD Dry seems to work really well for that. So. My thought was if I ever wanted a snare that was a good alternative to my signature snare, my my Jara 12 by five signature snare, that a 13 by six birch mahogany would be a pretty good option, especially when outfitted with an Evans HD dry. So I'm really happy with that snare, but I did tune it up higher for the pearl announcement video because I just wanted to, to demonstrate this kit um, in a fully cohesive form. I didn't want it to be all sorts of Frankenstein and mismatch. I just wanted to show exactly what it was that Pearl sent me and show the complete instrument as a whole. So you guys can hear it in the original video. I think that snare sounds awesome at a bunch of different tunings. Uh, but again, one of those drums I'm still getting to know, so hopefully I'll make some more videos with that one in the future and show you guys some different sounds that you can get out of a, out of a really, really awesome snare drum. All right, guys, so that is the drum set itself. Those are all of the sizes. It's the sound concept, the aesthetics. This is everything that I had in my head as I was ordering this drum set, and I'm uh, I'm very curious what you guys think of some of these decisions. Would you have ever gone with a 15-inch floor tom? Would you have ever... Um, you know put mahogany inside of your kick and your snare only and left your toms as different types of woods let me know in the comments what you think i know some of these are some weird decisions and there's a part of me that feels obligated to give you guys some of these more thorough explanations um but yeah what would you do let me know in the comments And now let's talk a little bit about endorsements. You know, I've spent a lot of time talking about endorsements over the years. I've made many, many videos that are specifically about this topic of endorsements. So if you've seen any of those, hopefully you have a general overview of of how I feel about this topic. But what I'm trying to do in this podcast is ultimately distill all of the things that I've said about endorsements over the years into a a short list of three things that I look for when I'm interacting with a company and deciding whether or not I want to you know, align myself with a different brand. So let's start with the first thing here. The first thing that I look for, the first thing that would that would make a company on the table or off the table when it comes to deciding whether or not I would like to work with them at all, is brand reputation. And it's the reputation, uh, is sort of in two parts. One, What do fans think? And these are people that are not in the industry, not professional drummers, but just people who are hobbyists, people who who make up most of the drum industry, right? They're just drummers. They're not necessarily professional drummers or industry people. They're just people who play drums. What do those people think of the brand? Because these are the people who don't have any stake in, in the company. They don't care, right? So if you see somebody go online, let me just pick a random company to make fun of. Let's just say it's DW. And you, you see somebody that goes on and, uh, online and they say, hey, I've played 100 DW kits in my lifetime and I never liked one. That's interesting to me. This person doesn't have any loyalty to DW. They're not tied to the company at all. So their opinion to me is more likely to be an honest one. So when you see what people say about a drum brand online over you know, years and years of being online, to me that matters. It has like a collective weight to it. like what do people overall, fans, what do they think about this particular drum company? So for me, Pearl has always had an awesome reputation. Now it's not just the collective opinion of people on the internet uh, that I'm looking for to build my own opinion of a certain drum brand, but it's also the opinion of professional drummers. And I'm fortunate to know a lot of professional drummers. Many of them play Pearl drums. And from those people, you get a, a different type of insight because their opinion could be a little bit biased, that's for sure, you gotta keep that in mind, that a Pearl artist is not gonna tell you anything negative about Pearl, so you have to keep that in mind for sure, but they have a lot more access to the company, so they likely played a lot a lot of different types of drums. If you're talking about a, let's just say, a touring Pearl artist, and I know a few of those people, they have played the Session Studio Select um, in this part of the country. And then they went to another part of the country and they got to play a Master's Maple Complete. Uh, And then they went to another part of the country and they had uh, Pearl Masterworks. And then they went out of the country and all they could find was a Pearl Roadshow. And so those people, like, like Pearl artists or industry professionals who play Pearl pretty often, those people have normally a, a sort of a different type of opinion about the company. So I was very interested in not only what fans and consumers of Pearl think about Pearl, but also what Pearl artists and just professional Pearl players, industry players, what they thought of Pearl. So for me, this is the most important thing. Because if we have a company where you can find fans and consumers of that product that have complaints about that drum brand, and you have artists and industry professionals who complain about that drum brand. To me, that's a big, big red flag between those two. So with Pearl, it was really interesting because if you look at, let's just say, the consumer consensus review of Pearl drums, they are so loved, so universally loved. It's hard to find people who have negative things to say about Pearl drums from that consumer part of the industry. And then you go to the industry professionals, uh, so like these are your Pearl artists or high-end session players who will use Pearl drum sets in the studio, you know, those people also have nothing negative to say about Pearl drums. So from a reputation standpoint, Pearl was just as solid as you can possibly get. So for me, that's the first and most important thing that I look for I allow other people and their their collective opinions to color whether or not I'm even interested in in working with a company the second thing that I look for and this is a huge one it's another make or break it's people within the brand that you know or that you have access to now there can be a company that's full of cool people really really kind hardworking, honest people of integrity But the person that you happen to know in this company is none of those things. I've actually been in this situation before because it's totally possible that, let me just use Pearl as an example, that Pearl is run by a whole bunch of really cool people. From the top down, everybody is really cool and they've got the best of intentions. These are awesome people who could absolutely um, help you in your career. But the guy whose contact information you got at this particular company, let's just say it's Pearl, that guy might not be very good at his job. Maybe he's new, maybe he's not very responsive, maybe he isn't paying very much attention to you and what you have going on, and you're, you're kind of an afterthought, right? That sort of thing can actually happen. It's happened to me with with other companies. So the, I hate to say it this way, but the quality of the human being that you are actually able to contact and work with matters a lot. And so for me, um, I was actually recommended to Pearl through Chris Brewer, who is my artist relations manager at Minel Symbols, I've known Chris Brewer for a very, very long time, and I, I trust him a lot. And Chris Brewer recommended that I speak with uh, John Fark. I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name, but uh, John Fark is the A&R at Pearl Drums. And so Chris Brewer helped facilitate that contact. And you know, I based a lot of my decision whether or not I wanted to work with Pearl, uh, you know, on that first phone call with John. You know, I said if this phone call goes well, I'm certainly interested, and if it doesn't, that's okay. But in talking with John, man, I was so initially in- impressed with him in that he had no agenda. There was nothing nothing along the lines of like, here's how we do things at Pearl, and then maybe this will work with you and maybe it won't. It was more so like, hey, man, we've got a way that we normally do things here, but... We we are open to almost anything. We're open to any type of deal that you want. Um, everything's on the table. We want to learn about you. What is it that you have going on? How do you think we can help? Um, they were open to a a more creatively structured agreement, right? And these aren't necessarily things that you put on paper in a contract. It's really not that nerdy most of the time. It's a lot more casual, just sort of like. Give me, give me the story, give me the story of Orlando Drummer and let's talk about uh, what we think Pearl can do. I cannot stress enough how rare that sort of openness is. It's way, way more common that a company would tell you, here's the deal, this is what we do with all of our artists and if you wanna hop on board, you can. That, that's much more common of an offer. So the, the willingness of John Fark of, of Pearl and Pearl Drums as a whole to cater to my own individuality was one of the biggest selling points for me. So this all falls under this category of like quality of the human that you're actually able to contact, right? Because John is my contact through Pearl. And while I have worked with a number of other people within Pearl, uh, especially in the ordering process of this Masterworks kit, my main guy is John. And if John wasn't a cool guy, if he wasn't um, representing Pearl in a way that made me feel comfortable, like him and Pearl as a whole were, were very open open to whatever kind of deal we wanted to do if that wasn't the case i wouldn't have been interested but in that first phone call with john we spoke for at least an hour um and to be honest it had been a very long time since i had felt that recognized and appreciated by a total stranger within the drum industry so it was really really cool talking with him he's excellent at his job um so shout out to chris brewer for making that connection man but uh john fark had a lot to do with with uh, my my initial comfort in beginning discussions with pearl drums Now, the third thing that I'm looking for when I'm trying to decide if I'm going to work with a company or if I'm interested in taking on an endorsement is the quality of gear. And a valid criticism might be, you know, why isn't that the first thing that you look for? Why isn't quality of gear the absolute most important thing? And everything else would be secondary to that. Well, the way I look at it is that brand reputation supersedes the quality of the gear if the gear quality is bad if people whether fans or industry professionals do not like the gear and they have bad things to say about it then to me that sort of answers the question for me right like if if most people think the gear is not good you know I'm going to trust their opinion on that right so the way I see it is by by prioritizing Uh, the framing of brand reputation from fans and industry professionals, by by looking at that first, that's gonna tell you everything you need to know about the quality of gear. Because it's possible that I could get some super high-end, awesome drum set from Pearl, which I did, and it's awesome. But that doesn't speak to the $500 Pearl Roadshow. It doesn't speak to the $1,700 Session Studio Select. It doesn't speak to the $1,900 Masters Maple Complete. These are lower, well, I don't wanna say lower end kits, $2,000 $2000 is a lot of money so is 1700 right but you know the quality of my masterworks kit fully custom drum set that does not necessarily speak to the quality of some of the lower end drums that they have and so i have to rely on the consensus brand reputation of pearl in order to you know, to decide if I'm comfortable recommending this gear to other people. I don't own every Pearl drum set that has ever existed. I haven't played every Pearl drum set that has ever existed. So in order for me to confidently recommend, um, that Pearl is a brand you can trust the quality of their gear is worthy of your trust. In order for me to make that recommendation as a professional educator, it is vital that I rely on the opinions of the, the, fans of the industry, the players of the industry, like like everybody else who's used Pearl drums. So when I prioritize the framing of brand reputation first, and I look at it that way, to me that tells me more about the quality of gear uh, than I'm able to tell myself by just playing the drums that I have. Because again, I don't own every Pearl drum set. It's very unlikely that I'm gonna have more than two or three or four kits ever here. So I rely heavily on the reputation of the brand. And again, when it comes to Pearl, I, I, it's so uncommon that I, I hear anyone having anything negative to say about the brand. So, you know, man, to be honest, my experience aligns perfectly with that. I, I have never played a Pearl drum set that I disliked, but that is not true about every company. I have played, well, let's not do names, but I have played some high-end drum sets from reputable companies, at least I thought they were reputable, and no, the drums do not sound good. I've gotten bad kick drums, bad floor toms um, from not that I personally own, but that I've played before from other companies. That's a real thing that happens. And you hear stories like that sometimes uh, within the industry. But with Pearl, that has never been the case, just a stellar reputation. So between the reputation of the brand itself, which is phenomenal from both fans and from industry professionals, um, the people in the brand that I've actually worked with, so that would be mainly um, mainly John Fark, Uh, Tom Storch is another one, but in working with those guys, uh, that's been all good. And then the quality of the gear itself, at least the gear that I have access to from Pearl, all three of those things were just absolutely on point. So collectively, if I were to weigh an endorsement with Pearl against Sonar or Tama or DW or any other company in the world, Pearl has more of these boxes checked than any other company. It's just that simple. There is one other thing on this topic of endorsements and, and the quality of gear that I wanna mention here before we move on. Uh, and this is, I'm not the first person to say this, but I do think it's important that I mention it in a podcast like this, so this is a standalone piece of content. You know, when you get into drum sets that are worth thousands of dollars, fully custom drum sets, whether it's Star, DW Collectors, Sonar SQ2, Pearl Masterworks, you name it. When you get to that high of a level, nobody is making bad drum sets. They're all absolutely incredible. And another thing that happens when you get into this fully custom territory is that when you make a fully custom drum set, you're gonna create a sound that is not necessarily representative of the Pearl sound, right? Same with Tama. If you make a Tama star and you make it out of like all maple, it's not like the Tama sound. When you make a DW Collectors, let's use for example, Matt Garska's kit that he just got, which has oak toms and cherry and mahogany floor toms. rack toms cherry and and, uh, mahogany floor toms that's not like the dw signature sound it's an extremely unique high-end drum sound but it's not necessarily like like married to the brand that is dw dw is just the the company that happened to make that kit this is kind of how i look at all these high end drums right uh when you get into pearl masterworks and you're talking about Virtually infinite decisions that you can make, like infinite combinations that you can make. It's not necessarily that the drum set sounds like some signature Pearl kit. It's just that Pearl is the manufacturer of a very specific sound that I wanted. And I entrusted Pearl to deliver that sound. And that is exactly what they did. The kit sounds phenomenal. It matches the sound that I had in my head. um, And I I couldn't ask for anything more than that. But I say all this to let you know that it is never a fair comparison to take the highest level DW Collector series and hold that against the highest level Tama Star series, right? They're different kits. And if they're fully customized, they're not even intended to, to, to sound the same. If anything, you should judge the quality of those kits based off of their highest end production line kits. So for me, that would be the SQ1 versus a Masters Maple Complete, for example, versus a DW Performance series. Those are valid comparisons for sure because you are dealing with a somewhat of a, of a signature air quotes mass produced sound uh, from each one of those companies but once you go above that into the fully custom territory all bets are off what the companies are doing in that fully custom territory is meeting the specific requests and the desires of their clients right when somebody orders a pearl masterworks pearl doesn't say well you know i know you wanted Six plies of Mahogany plus two plies of Birch. But that's not really going to sound like a pearl. That's not what they're going to say. They're going to say, yes, we can do that. If that's the kit you want, that's the kit that we'll make. So... Hopefully this helps clarify like how you should think about these comparisons of these very, very high-end kits. And I wanted to close out this podcast by talking just briefly about my signature snare drum because I know this is one of the things that's likely more confusing to somebody um, who has been seeing me post about my signature snare with Entity Drums over the last, you know, maybe year or so. Um, and they say, well, what's the deal with that? Aren't you an Entity Drums artist? Now, the thing I have to clarify is that Entity Drums and Pearl Drums are in no way... In competition with each other these are not similar companies at all when we say entity drums we're talking about Salvador Morales um, of Australia it's one guy that runs the entire company he is entity drums just that guy he runs the front end he builds the website he sells the drums um, he runs all the social media he he's the guy in the workshop cutting the drum shells right it's all one person when you're talking about Pearl, you're quite literally talking about a corporation, uh, an international corporation at that. So the products that Sal from Australia is making for Entity Drums are in no way in competition uh, with what it is that Pearl is doing. Pearl is a is a mass producer of drums. That's what they do. There's very likely more more Pearl drum sets on planet Earth than any other brand of drum sets. I don't. I tried to research that. I'm not totally sure if that's true, but I would believe if it was. When you're talking about, you know, entity drums, I would guess that Sal has made somewhere in the ballpark of 20 full drum sets, and I know that he's made about between 50 and 75 of the 12x5 Jara snare. So these guys are not in competition with each other at all. There is a 0% chance that Pearl Drums is going to get into the Jara 12x5 wooden hoop boutique snare game. They're not doing that at all. And in the same way, Entity Drums is not going to get into the mass production of $500 drum sets. That's not the market at all. Sal has always made very high-end, very boutique um, kits and snare drums. And so, in a a weird way, you have to understand that these companies, while they're both drum manufacturers, they're not even kind of the same thing. Now, I also wanna mention that, that I'm not the first person to have the boutique signature snare, with a kit endorsement. This has actually been done before. Now, when I first spoke with John of Pearl Drums, one of the first things that I mentioned to him was the signature snare, because I assumed that this might be somewhat of a conflict that we would have to work around. And he actually told me that uh, the artist that he mentioned was Todd Suckerman. that Todd Suckerman, way back in the day, was a Pearl artist, but he had a signature snare, uh, very similar to mine, like a boutique, much smaller company, and that this is a thing that, that artists have done before. Is it common? No, it's not that common. Um, and I think the the one reality of a situation like this is that I will very likely never have a signature snare with Pearl, and that is very understandable. I would never have an expectation uh, that they would make me an offer like that, um, even at some point you know, in the next few years. Th- that's definitely not gonna happen. Um, and for me personally, I plan to continue to use my signature snare from Entity Drums with my Pearl Masterworks kit. The reason that I got the 13x6 Birch Mahogany snare um, with this Masterworks kit was it was just in that spirit of of ordering a complete cohesive drum set just so I have the entire kit as its own standalone instrument. Uh, But more than likely that snare will be used for either special projects or it will be used as as like an alternative left side snare for me. Uh, But I do plan on continuing to use my 12x5 jarra snare and as far as things with Pearl go you know it, it's it's not it, it's not a competing interest of theirs um, th- that's really how they look at it and that's the reality they're not making 12 by 5 jarra snares and Sal of Entity Drums is not looking to to mass produce drums how Pearl does so two companies that happen to do the same thing but that crossover is pretty minimal Hopefully that explanation sort of makes sense um, as to why I would sign with a drum brand um, while within a year before that announcing that I have a signature snare drum, but hopefully that clarification makes sense. All right, so now what we're going to do is pull up the Pearl Masterworks order form. Um, It's just a PDF that I have here, and I'm gonna take you guys through this entire thing. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, all of these will be on the screen as we're going through them, Uh, and if not, hopefully I'll be able to be descriptive enough that my audio listeners can keep up. So, what I have up here first is the custom bass drum order form. Let's start on step one. In step one, you basically just specify the diameter and the depth of your kick drum. So, you can put 20 by 17 as I did, or anything, 24 by 10, whatever kind of pancake weirdness you wanna do. Uh, But 20 by 17 is what I put. I did ask about half sizes, and that is not an option that Pearl offers, just so you know. Um, I'd be skeptical if any company offered half sizes, but um, I was just curious, but they do not. So 20 by 17 is what I went, went with, that is step one. Step two, you have to choose between a regular ply shell or a thin ply shell. Now, when we say thin ply shell, they're referring to the reference pure style. Um, I believe the reference pure style is in the ballpark of six millimeters. I'm not entirely sure. I didn't actually go down the wormhole on reference pure, but effectively, you have two shell ply options here, the regular ply or the thin ply, which is a reference pure style. Now the reason I went with the regular ply, even though I got very thin shells, is because if you want a four ply shell with reinforcement rings, you actually have to go with the regular ply. So that's why I did that, that's actually how you get the thinnest shell possible from Pearl, is you select the regular ply in step two. Now in step three, You tell them how many plies you actually want of the kick drum in this case. Um, So for me, I went with six plies on this particular drum because I knew I was gonna be adding mahogany. Now in step four, it asks you what kind of wood you want for your bass drum, but this is assuming um, that you want everything in, in one particular type of wood. So you can do all birch, all maple or all African mahogany. Those are the three kick drum options that you have uh, from Pearl. But I had to skip this step because I was going with a blended shell. So in step five, this is where you, you tell them exactly what kind of blended shell you might want. Now in reading this, it's funny. I actually made a decision on here that I do not remember making, interesting. So first it asks you what kind of inside plies you want, which remember, as I said, are They're the biggest contributor to the sound of the drum. I did not realize that I actually put the mahogany uh, on the inside ply. So my kick drum actually, the the biggest contributing wood ply within that drum is actually mahogany on my kick drum. I didn't realize that I actually made that change towards the end there. So I have two plies of mahogany on the inside. Um, You could also put maple, birch, gum, or they have some artisan plies as well. You could put um, black limba, curly maple, burl mahogany, babinga. Uh, so I went with mahogany on the first two inside plies. One of the reasons that I actually remember I made that switch was because you can't see into the bass drum very often, right? Like So it, it's uh, it's a little bit less visible. So I wasn't too worried about, about the aesthetics at least. Um, obviously mahogany is a little bit darker of a wood. Um, Then when you get to this next section here in step five, it asks you for the middle plies, and again, you can put maple, birch, gum, or mahogany, and then outside plies, um, same sort of thing. So for me, I went, the first two inside plies were mahogany, then two layers of birch in the middle, and then two layers of birch on the outside ply. So I'm still favoring birch uh, very heavily, but that biggest contributing ply, uh, mahogany, that one is on the inside in my kick drum. In step six, it asks you if you would want carbon or fiberglass layers applied to the drum shell. These are optional. If I'm not mistaken, it's just an aesthetic thing. I've actually seen the the carbon pearl kits. They look really, really cool. Um, But I was able to skip that step. In step seven, it asks you about the bearing edge. I went with a rounded 45 degree edge. And the reason I went with a rounded 45 is because in all of my research on bearing edges, a rounded 45 is how you get the truest tone out of the drum. Now. Regular 45s, not rounded, or inner 45s, or 60 degree bearing edges. They all have different sound profiles. And you should do the research to really decide um, if you have a preference there. But for me, I just wanted to get the most authentic, honest tone out of this drum set. So for me, that was a rounded 45. At least all of the research that I did told me that that was the right decision for this kit. So that's what I went with there. In step eight, it asks you to choose the hoop width of the bass drum. Uh, So you can just imagine the actual bass drum hoop, like when you change your your bass drum head and you have the hoop that comes off, that can be either two inches or one and a half inches. I didn't really know functionally what the difference is between those two other than aesthetics, so I just went with a little bit thinner of one um, at 1.5 inches. And step nine of the bass drum order form, it's asking about uh, the air vents. So, if you want them in the standard position or the golden ratio position. um, And the difference between those, you know. The golden ratio position is sort of like an, it's an odd placement of the air vents on the drums. And I went with this golden ratio positioning for my air vents across the entire kit. It's supposed to be sonically optimal as I understand it. Aesthetically, obviously it's a little weird to have your, your air vents in sort of some weird places, but, um, I, you know, I, I didn't really think it was that weird of a decision to make, so I decided to give it a shot um, and I selected regular round die cast air vents uh, matching my hardware color in the golden ratio position. So that's what I went with. I, I don't know that this is gonna be the major contributing factor to really the sound or the look of the kit. Not that big of a decision to make, but I figured um, this golden ratio concept that there is a an optimal place to put the air vents on any drum. I thought that was pretty cool and the idea that it was a little bit off-center didn't bother me, so that's what I went with. In step 10, it's asking about the exterior finish, one of the more important choices, and you can pick between a standard finish, an artisan finish, a custom finish, or a finish match. The finish match is actually very cool. What it says here is that you can match existing Masterworks drums or kits. They can be finished matched by specifying the serial number from the drum kit in the space below, which is very, very cool because obviously they would they would photograph or perhaps even keep samples of the wood that they used and they would match it very, very closely. So I really like this because that's what I would select. If I were to ever order that 16 inch floor tom to match this kit, I'd go with a finish match. Uh, but for me, uh, in this initial order form, I selected an artisan finish and I typed in black limba natural. One thing I wanna mention about black limba, there are many artists, Todd Zuckerman actually, um, he has black limba in in the I don't know the exact name of it, but it's like in a black fade. So there's a lot of different finishes of the black limba, but just so you know, the specific one I have is matte natural black limba. Uh, It's got much more of a raw look to it and it's got no fade at all. In step 11, this is the final step. Uh, It's specifying the hardware options. So the first thing you you select is the hardware color. I went with black nickel plated. Actually, this is black chrome on here, but I remember changing that. Uh, So yeah, black nickel is what I went with. Up next, you select your lugs. The style that I went with was the STL-300. It's considered a reference pure style, but that's the the uh, swivel double tube lug look, that's the STL 300. Then you select the bass drum claws, I went with a matching reference pure style, it's called the CW-300, and then you select your spurs. I also went with, same thing, the SP-300, that's the reference pure style. It can also be found in the reference series, the master series, maple reserve, etc. And each one of these order forms is kind of similar to this. I'll go ahead and put them on the screen now for my YouTube watchers, uh, or listeners rather, but, Sort of the same thing. The options change as you get through the the different specific drums. So for example, in this snare drum order form that you guys can see now, you can um, select a lot of different options within the free floating snare drums versus a conventional snare drum. I went with conventional. So you can see some of the choices that I made here. Options for hoops, die cast versus fat tone versus super hoop two. Um, A lot more lug options, that's for sure. Um, And then on the left side here, you can see all of the same decisions. You choose your size, you choose your ply, you choose the orientation of your ply, um, and then you go with you know your bearing edges, air vents, etc. All kind of the same stuff. And as far as everything else goes, it's all the same thing. So I'll put everything that I have on the screen here. There's no reason to go through all of these, but I thought this was was really really cool to see this because if you were to print these forms out and go through and make your own decisions, you'll get hung up in a lot of spots. Like, nobody ever asked me if I would prefer die-cast, fat tone, or super hoops. Like, okay, well, that's an hour of your time to go research the differences between those three hoops and understand exactly what it is that you're ordering. Same with, with, you know, um, just the plies of wood. I could tell you a lot about the difference between maple and birch and mahogany, but what about gum? What about black limba? What about... You know, what about combinations of those? What about the orientation? Like what order they actually go in? So as you go through an order process like this, it was interesting, it, it forced me to learn a lot more about drums than I anticipated. And this is coming from someone who's, you know, been in the drum industry full time for over 10 years. So um, this was a really, really fun process. I learned a ton and I thought you guys would enjoy seeing these order forms. There's so much cool stuff on here. Uh, and again, it just forced me to learn a ton of cool stuff. Okay, that is all I have for you guys in this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. This was certainly a deep dive on all things Pearl, all things endorsements, uh, on the Masterworks ordering process. I hope you guys got a lot out of this. If you have any questions at all about endorsements in general, about, um, about my specific kit, about Pearl Masterworks, I will do my best to answer any and all of them, so please drop them in the comments below. Thank you guys so much for spending the time with me today. I really appreciate it. Adam here, The Orlando Drummer, and I will see you in the next episode of The Orlando Drummer Podcast. Take care, guys. Bye.